If you would, turn into 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to be going through two chapters uh, today, and so we're going to be skimming. So I, in your own study, I encourage you to read it all, and it would be good for you. And we're, we're winding down in this series on David, and we've been doing it for a long time. But as we have seen, David is a man after God's own heart. But like all good men, David is not perfect. And so as we're going to read today, we're going to see that David develops a pattern of sin that started all because he wanted to cover up one mistake. Now what we're going to be, see is he begins to spile out of control that if you would look at your life, you would see that your sin often takes those same patterns. It starts out with something small and then it grows and it builds and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. We do something that we know is wrong, but because of shame or guilt, we attempt to cover it up, and it always makes matters worse. You know, growing up in a Christian home, also, my dad was a police officer, so there was that, that added pressure to never do anything stupid, right? And I'm, I'm 13 years old. My, my grandmother, who is sitting in the second row here today, her and my grandpa bought my brother and I mopeds. And we received these mopeds before we even had our licenses, right? Which, Steve, you know is, is dangerous. And um, so we had these mopeds at home. And over the summers, you know, mom and dad, they both worked full time. And so my brother and I would be at home planning and mischieving. And so I, yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I had this friend named Brian. And Brian would come down on a, on a daily basis and... We, uh, we decided, eventually, that we would go up to the local Hy-Vee, and then we, had, we saw trading cards that we wanted, but we didn't have the money for. So we stick a pack in our pocket, and we leave, right? It gets worse. It gets much worse. Next thing you know, we're going up to Hy-Vee on a daily basis, and the, the pants aren't good enough anymore. We've got cargo shorts, and we're lining these with cards. And guys, where you'd think I would be mature enough that these would be like MLB trading cards or NBA trading cards, it was Beavis and Butthead trading cards. Um, and we're getting to the point where... We're taking so many, we're not getting caught. Next thing you know, we go home with our, 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 uh, our, our stash. Yeah, thank you. And we start going through all the cards, and we're like, man, we didn't get that one card we wanted, you know. So Brian hops on the moped and goes back to Hy-Vee. Next thing you know, two hours goes by, no moped, no Brian. It's like... Uh-oh. Something's happened. And I remember in my nervousness, and I'm a nervous person by nature, and in my nervousness, I hopped on my dad's speed bike, and his speed bike had these, these metal pedals that had spikes on them, and I hopped on it barefoot, probably the dumbest thing I ever did. But I, I rode to Hy-Vee, and as I crest the hill, and you can see Hy-Vee, I see my moped right by the front door and a squad car parked right here. I saw that, 
And I did what any mature 13-year-old would do. I turned around and went back home. And I remember, I go to where my stash was. I take all the cards, and I'm thinking, I need to do something with these quick. And so I collected them all up, and my first thought was, the storm drain outside. And so I, I ran to the storm drain in the street and dumped them all down there. I was 13, guys, okay? So, it, and, and I'm sitting there thinking about the patterns of my behavior and how this escalated from something I would never do to where I was pocketing one packet. Next thing you know, I'm lining the pockets. And I started to ask myself, where does this end? Where does this end? And I remember Brian came home later with, with the moped, which was a, what I was honestly most worried about, was making sure I got the moped back. And uh, I said, what, what happened? Well, I got a nice tour of the police station. They let me know what that looked like and told me that if I kept going this direction that I would see it and see it often. And I realized the pattern of both of our lives, and we ended it that day. Now, that was the wake-up call we both needed. And as you know, some people, they have a lot harder wake-up calls than something like that. Or they might go through life without wake-up calls at all until it's gotten to the point of death. And I think that most of you, the reason you are in this room is because at some point you had a wake-up call. Amen? All right, so let's read. We're going to be hopping around a lot. We're going to start in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. We're going to read verses 5 through 9, 14 through 15, and then 26 through 27. It's also going to be up on the screen. I'll let you know when I make changes and skip ahead. Let's read. In the springtime of the year when kings normally go out to war. Everyone in here say normally. So when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Everyone say behind. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, oh, I, I skipped the verse, by the way. Uh, verse 5, later, when Bathsheba discovered she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. Then David sent word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Then he told Uriah, go on home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace, but Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. Let's skip ahead to verses 14 and 15. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, Station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest, then pull back so that he will be killed. Skip down to verse 26. 
When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for your word. And Lord, I know there's a lot that we can learn from this today. And God, I pray that we be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. Allow you to speak. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, unfortunately, as I was reading this, I, I only gave you the highlights because we're going to read a lot of this story today. And what I'm going to tell you, something significant that I skipped over was David didn't just try and coerce Uriah to go sleep with his wife once. He tried three separate times to get this man to go home, and yet his faithfulness to king and country was greater that he refused to go home because he felt he should be on the battlefield with the other men. Now clearly, everything we read from this story is the issue is with David, but I believe the sin started well before David was walking on his balcony and noticed Uriah's wife. See, if we look at verse 1, David should have been at war. It says, when kings normally go to war. It says in the springtime of the year when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. But instead, David decided, I'm going to stay home and send out Joab instead. And some might say, wow, David was doing a good job delegating, and he just stayed home. But I believe what this really reveals is David's heart was not in the right place, and his intentions were not good. Because then it says in verse 2, Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Again, I, I don't want to be a dead horse here, but this was not David just taking a casual stroll on the balcony. David's heart was in the wrong place. And so David went out there with a little bit of purpose that was ungodly. And hear me out. I, I, I don't think before this started that David was set in his heart that I'm going to take another man's wife. He never set that out in his heart. But this displays he was already posturing himself and his focus was clearly on the wrong things. And what I think is if we look to David as an example, we should see that if we take a lazy approach to God, we become at risk. We become vulnerable to sin, which is exactly what David did. See, if we go back to the very beginning, why did God choose David? God chose him because of his heart, right? This is a man after my own heart. And so God chose him. And David was a guy that he wore his heart on his sleeve and sought to please Lord, the Lord in everything that he did. But also in regards to David and his heart, the thing about if you're a type of person, if you say like, I'm a David, I wear my heart on my sleeve and, and, and I leave it out there so everyone sees and knows who I am, I'm going to tell you that our heart is deceitful above all things according to Jeremiah 17, 9. It's going to trick you. If, you. if you allow that to be your guide, it is going to trick you. Our Wednesday night class, we were just going through Romans chapter 8, and we discussed 
the battle that we have where we wrestle between our minds and what's carnal or setting our minds on things of the Spirit. And that is exactly what David was guilty of. And so often when God's children take their eyes off of him and we place it on the world, what we don't realize is we are opening that door to sin. I can think of many times growing up where I've flirted with things of the world and I've tried to walk with God and I'm saying I can balance both and I can make sure that that doesn't influence who I am in Christ. But the reality is when you have one foot in the world and one foot in your faith, It's already influenced you. It's too late. And if we let sin remain unchecked, then a great depravity can take place. Listen to James 1.15. James says, These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, everyone say grow, it gives birth to death. So what this is saying is if we don't deal with sin right away, it leads us down a road that is very difficult to return from. And the reality is that this is not not a quick progression. This is not just one day David was a man after God's own heart and the next day he completely screwed up and his life life is in absolute turmoil. It's a slow fade. It's something that happens over a long period of time. So we're talking this morning about the patterns of sin and falling from grace. And again, it doesn't happen quickly because what happens is early on we start to drop our defenses. Maybe, maybe we permit sin around us or we excuse it. And then over time we might start giving to temptation ourselves. Then after an even greater period of time, eventually we are hardly a reflection of who we used to be. And the issue is, we might still be trying to live out the same life. You can have people still sitting in a church pew, but living a life that doesn't look anything like what they used to. You might say, well, I'm still trying to follow the patterns of my life. I'm still trying to do good, but, you know, I have these struggles. Pastor, we all do. See, what happens is we start to excuse it, too. And we we, we start to make it seem like it's commonplace or it's normal and it's fine. And we get so wrapped up on maintaining a certain image that we start focus on keeping up appearances instead of being genuine in our faith. Again, I want to illustrate this isn't a progression that happens overnight. Uh, here in July, my family, we're, we're taking a vacation. We're going, to, we're going to Florida. Florida in July. It's not a lot of wisdom there, but, you know, it is what it is. And we love to go to the beach. And in fact, I mean, it's, it's cheap, good entertainment. The kids love it. And we can spend most of the day there, and, and they're happy. And what I've noticed is that if you've ever been to the beach and if you've ever waited out in the water for a long period of time, and probably like me, you set all your stuff up on the beach. You're like, this is our spot. No one's taking it. You know, we're putting our umbrella up. We got our cooler there. We're set to be there for the day. And you go out in the water. You have fun. An hour goes by and you look back up at the beach and you say, where's our stuff? 
And what you don't realize is that undertow has pushed you much further away from where you were and you didn't even realize it. You're just out there having fun. Like, I'll be playing with the kids and then you're a quarter of a mile down the beach. When we open the door to sin, it's the same progression. It seems so small and innocent at first. Where it's just one pack of trading cards. The next thing you know, it's not just stealing, guys. It's opening the door to all kinds of sin. And in our own selfishness, we, we ignore that our sin, the mistakes that we are choosing to make, because many of us are just choosing to make them, we ignore the fact that it does affect those around us. It does affect other lives. So it's not just pulling us down, but it pulls others down around us. So if you're in leadership like David, think of the lives that you are affecting by the decisions and the choices that you are making. He's leading an entire nation. And he's more wrapped up in covering up his idiocy. The last verse of this chapter that we read, I want to read it again. Well, I'm going to read the last sentence in verse 27. It says, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. Here's the thing. David his own selfishness, us in our own selfishness. We don't care when we're displeasing God. We're too focused on ourselves to worry about or ever consider if we're displeasing God. But the author wanted to make sure that that was notated in here because ultimately we all know David's actions were unjustifiable. They were without excuse. And David being a man after God's own heart, you know, God's word and his statutes are so clear and for us, we know that if you've walked with the Lord for a long time, you know what pleases God and you know what displeases God. It's not a mystery. And so if you've read the word of God, you know what it takes to make God happy. You know what's going to upset him. And here's the other thing. I believe you are sitting here because you seek to pursue God and that as even as today, his truth is being revealed to you and you're discovering what God's standard is and his expectations for our lives. And I want to, I want to encourage you, God's word is not gray. It's, it's black and white. There's no gray areas in God's word. It's very black and white. And so when we are entangled in sin, the last thing we consider is what does God think about this? But if our heart is pursuing out after God, we should know what pleases him and what doesn't. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And if you want to try and save yourself, rescue yourself from being entangled in sin, you have to take this and you have to put it here. You have to put it in your heart. You have to hide God's word in your heart. You have to dedicate yourself to it daily. You have to allow to be molded and shaped by it and learn from it. Let it affect you. Let it change you that it will help you finish well and walk with integrity. 
it's clear David wasn't walking with integrity even when he just strolled on the balcony, right? But then it was obvious to others when he's calling for another man's wife. And I know that maybe you do feel like David when you're entangled and engulfed in sin that sometimes we can't get out of our own way where David, you know, it wasn't enough for him to just not go to war and not do the things that God has called him to do but now he's taken another man's wife then that's not good enough eventually to the point where he has to cover it up because the man wouldn't even go sleep with his own wife so that he could pretend it was her child that's really what's going on here instead, since that didn't take place well, I'm just going to have to kill him Think about that progression. But sometimes we do the exact same stupid things. We can't get out of our own way, and sin starts to just make a spiral out of complete control. And the next thing you know, we're completely engulfed by sin, and we feel there's no way out. But when it comes to the followers of God, sin always tries to hide itself or tries to give a different appearance. And that's exactly what David was doing. He was trying to sell it as something it wasn't. He wanted to manipulate a great servant and soldier in Uriah, a man that was completely sold out to the king's mission. He wouldn't even accept his invite to go home to be with his wife because of his dedication to king and country. But if the sin was going to remain quiet, like many of us do, drastic measures must, must be taken. And ultimately, this is something, if there's anything you get from today, I hope it's this. Nothing can be hidden from God. Nothing can be hidden from God. God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. That means God knows all things. He's everywhere at once. As he is ministering to you, Ken, he is also ministering to me and seeing every inner working part of my life. And that's, that's the same for each and every one of us in this room. God deals with us on an individual level all at the same time. He knows all things. You can't hide anything from him. The moment you think you are doing something in secret, I'm telling you, it is no secret to God. And the hard part is that so many act so well in public and give this appearance of a good life and think that once they're in these, these closed walls and doors of their home that they can live a different life and it's fine. It doesn't affect anyone. Well, first and foremost, it affects you. Secondly, it affects your family. And you know, for us, public opinion can be everything. And of course we know there are those that give a different public perception than they do in their private life. I remember it was, it was back in like 2003. There was the BTK killer was found out. You guys remember that? And do you remember the significant details of that story? This was a man who is now a board member in his church. Our board members are fine, guys. <laughs> he was a board member in his church, and it had gone 20 years without killing anybody. And everyone, I remember everyone that was around him said, I could never have imagined he would have done those things. And guys... 
obviously, hopefully, it's not so severe, but every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there are so many times we are trying to perceive something we're not. And I am telling you, it is not good. I would rather have genuine, broken people sitting in my church that admit the struggle and they're trying to better their struggle than to hide it and pretend like everything is good. That's dangerous. And so what we're going to learn is when God is displeased, He illuminates what we like to remain hidden. And He loves to do that with the children of God. And personally, and I'm going to get to this, I don't want to skip too far ahead, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that God chooses to illuminate what we've done wrong. Because what we're going to do is we're going to read now in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And God, He's about to send His prophet Nathan an advisor, and he's a close confidant of David's to speak into David's life. And what we might not realize when God does this to us, this is God's way of giving David an opportunity to return back to having the heart of God. So let's read 2 Samuel chapter 12, starting at verse 1, and we're going to read straight through verse 13. So, so the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day a guest arrived at, his at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and have done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly. But I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. Each and every one of us are going to have to answer for what we've done. 
And there are going to be times that if you are a faithful servant of God, God is going to give you this Nathan-like moment. This moment where, where you have someone who is speaking on behalf of God or God finds a way to illuminate what it is you have done. And all I am telling you is much like David, act when God speaks. Act when he speaks. Notice David thought this was hidden. David thought absolutely no one knew about it, that it was fine, it was never going to be discovered, and that he would be able to just live his life. And here comes Nathan, a man that David loves, cherishes his advice, knows that he speaks on behalf of God, and David believes he's even kept it from him. And what happens is, is, is as, as God's prophet begins to speak into David's life, it gives the story that it starts to invigorate David's heart. And the, the same heart that he originally had out for God in, in justice, in right and wrong, David being a defender of fairness and of God's truth in, in his previous life, not who he is currently. So of course this ignited David because Nathan is a spiritual advisor and David looks to him as someone he can trust. David was just presuming that he was hearing something he had to fix. But then God challenged him. And David, being a powerful king who has already gone so far as to take one of his great soldiers, put him on the front line so he could be killed, he could have done anything to Nathan in private. He could have let it escalate. But instead, he said in verse 13, I have sinned against God. God knows man needs redeemed for sin. That's the very reason God sent his son, Jesus Christ. But when we are entangled with sin, we are without excuse. Especially God had David dead to rights. He couldn't run from it. He couldn't hide it anymore. He was staring at it face to face. And you and I, what we can do is, when we believe we have it hidden, we can reason anything. We can make excuses for anything, but you cannot reason with God. With God, everything is black and white. And this is why you and I, we should be so thankful for God sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to the earth to be the sacrifice for our sins. Because without that act from God, our debt of sin remains. It doesn't go away. But because of what God did through His Son, Jesus Christ, and now God will send His Holy Spirit to speak to you and minister to you when you have fallen short of His glory, that in these moments when God is dealing with your sin, hopefully the same as David... You confess. You lay it down. You end the charade. It's over. I'm urging you, church, to be like David. Respond immediately. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. Don't let sin continue to corrupt and build. But be awakened to your sin to cause you to hopefully, just like David, be in anguish over your mistake and realize that there's no more hiding or sitting in it. 
And here's the thing. Many of you, you have held back confessing your sin because you don't want to experience the shame of being found out. I get it. But here is what I've learned in my life. The moment you understand that you are in the mercy and forgiveness of God, all the shame is washed away. And that sin that has ensnared you, that sin that has weighed you down, that has convinced you that if it comes out, you're going to be put to shame. If it comes out, all these bad things are going to happen. I am promising you that's not the way God works. Instead, he releases you of that burden. And every single one of us are in need of God's mercy and forgiveness. There is nothing you have done that Jesus' sacrifice won't cover. Amen? So there is no one that will come into this place that is undeserving of the grace of God. We have to allow it for, for each and every individual that seeks to pursue God. And if they step in the doors of this place, they are trusting and knowing that there is someone who cares about them and loves them. And it's got to be us as a church to offer that same mercy and grace and forgiveness. Something else I have embraced That if God's working on your heart today, if He is stirring something up inside you, maybe He's awakening you to things that you've done. One of my favorite verses in Hebrews 12, 6, God disciplines those He loves. And so it might sting for a brief moment until you've confessed it. But that is God's loving push so that you might confess it and not be bound to it anymore. That feeling of conviction, trust me, in the long run, it's good. And so lastly, I just want to end with this. Like David, repent quickly and walk in freedom. Church, there is bondage into holding on to your sin, but freedom comes when you confess. Listen to Proverbs 28, 13. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. When you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I am telling you, church, don't delay. We talked about this in our Wednesday night class, that if we choose to delay the, the nudgings and the convictions of the Holy Spirit, what we do is we start to quench the Spirit, and as a result, it diminishes, that role diminishes in our life if we ignore the promptings of God. And God, He is a gentleman, and He steps back, and He allows you, okay, you want to live your life? Go, go live your life. But if we open that door to conviction right away, and we, we say, God, forgive me. He's faithful and just to do that. And His Holy Spirit will then bring to light other things in your life. And God will begin to work on you, to refine you, to mold you and shape you into the man, woman that He wants you to be. I want everyone to bow your heads. Today I'm offering you an opportunity
See, true freedom in Jesus Christ shows that we no longer have to be bound by sin. We're no longer controlled by it. And what he does is he paves the way when we confess. His spirit then brings us relief and peace, the things that have held us captive. And church, I am telling you, only God can do that. There is nothing else on the face of this earth that can do that but God. And so today for you could be a day of freedom. But it's acknowledging your sin. And so there might be some in this room that you've tried to keep things hidden. It's worn you out. You feel trapped. And you don't know how you're going to get out of it. I'm telling you, today can be the day of freedom for you. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I want to receive God's mercy and grace. I need forgiveness. I'm ready for it to be out in the open. Would you stand if that's you? Praise God. Praise God. Everyone lift your hands up right where you're at. Lord, I don't think there's a more bold act that to confess to wrongdoing and say, Lord, I'm in need of your forgiveness. And God, I pray right now in the response to admitting the guilt of sin, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will pour out that, Lord, that bondage that has been held there will be broken in Jesus' name because we are proclaiming the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, over our lives. And, Lord, I pray that through this there will be victory, there will be peace, Father, and, Lord, sin no longer has power there. And we praise you for that, and we proclaim that victory in Jesus' name. God, I pray from this day forward, we will not return to that, Father, but we will be solely focused on you and what you have for us in eternity. I praise you, God. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and grace. It is undeserving, but Lord, because of your love, you bestow it upon us. I thank you for the sacrifice of your Son. For without it, God, where would we be? Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.